Welcome to the Living Savior Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for our worship service every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at lsavior.org. Thank you for joining us today. You might remember the news that came out of Cleveland, Ohio five years ago. There was this man living in the city in his own house who had abducted three women, held them hostage, held them in a terrible sort of slavery for nine years. Even his next door neighbors didn't know what was going on in his house as he would overpower these women beat them, assault them, threaten them, deprive them of food and other comforts of life, lie to them about what was going on out in the world or why they were in that place with, with him. The worst sort of slavery In May of 2013, one of his captives escaped. She went to the authorities that very day. The police burst into that man's house, arrested him, and freed his other captives. When you read the story or when you heard about it, I imagine that, like me, you you shuddered, you winced, He tried not to imagine what life would have been like for those three women for nine years. Maybe you said a prayer for them or their families as they recovered. And then I also imagine this. You did your best to put it out of your mind without considering this one fact. What was happening in that man's house is really no less than what has been happening all over the world since almost the beginning of time. In the Bible's third chapter, you heard this, uh, God introduces the devil into the, into the conversation he has with us. And as you've read from the scriptures, the the devil is a a creature of God who rebelled against him and was banished from his presence. He's called the devil because he's the accuser. He's called Satan because he's the enemy. He's the father of lies. He's the prince of darkness. And he did something to our first parents, to Eve and Adam. He not only lied to them, he not only deceived them, but by their sin, he got them into his house, into his place, where he owned them for a time, where he had something on them and could threaten them and beat on them and, and assault them with further lies. And his, his plan, very obviously, was 
that he would not only abduct Eve and Adam, but he would abduct and and enslave their children and their children's children and the next generation and the next and the next. The devil is pure evil. And he's got the strength of experience of knowing what works, what temptation can bring someone down. And the devil also has this strength, so to speak, that he has been sentenced to a miserable eternity, so he has nothing to lose as he attempts to enslave one individual and one generation after another. At the beginning of of Jesus' public life, his public ministry, what had been going on maybe behind the scenes came out into the open. The Son of God had become flesh and was now out in public, and he was preaching and teaching and doing miracles So the devil summoned all of his forces, his his allies, demons, went through the hills of Galilee, and they took hold of one individual after another after another. Made them slaves to the devil. Demon possession is not only a, a spiritual sort of slavery, it's a physical ownership, where those that were possessed were spending their days howling and shrieking in misery, cursing and cutting themselves off from even those that love them, groveling and foaming at the mouth. The worst sort of misery, I suppose we can begin to imagine what that's like, but we cannot imagine the fact that for them, for each of them, that was the start of a misery that would have lasted eternally. So, the mighty Son of God went out into battle, and he confronted the enemy. And as the demon-possessed were brought to him, one after the other, he, he freed people. With a word, with a phrase, one after another. Maybe what, dozens? Maybe hundreds, because we're told right before this passage that they started bringing the demon-possessed from south of Jerusalem and Judea, from way up in Tyre and Sidon, from across the Jordan River, they were bringing demon-possessed people to Jesus, captives to the devil, members of his household, slaves to him, and he was setting them free. The religious leaders of the day got jealous, as they often did. And like jealous people, they said something really stupid. They said, this Jesus is, he's possessed by Beelzebul. They explained their words. He's he's possessed by the prince of demons. And Jesus responded, not with 
Well, that's stupid, but he could have. He said, what are you thinking? I'm casting out demons. I'm overcoming the devil by the power of the devil. No, it doesn't work that way. His house is not divided against itself. His kingdom is not divided. No, here's what's happening. I'm going into the strong man's house, and I'm tying him up, and I'm plundering him of his most valuable possessions. Those slaves to him, those captives to him, I'm, I'm healing them and setting them free. That's what's happening here. It's imagery. It's picture language. It also is depicting something that remains very real, that you are very familiar with. How does the devil operate? Like an abductor. Just come a little closer. Did God really say... Did God really say you shouldn't be beating people up with your words? I mean, come on, they've hurt you. Wouldn't it do a little good to just let them have it? Come a little closer. Did God really say you shouldn't let those thoughts of greed linger in your heart? I mean, come on, everybody else has a lot of stuff. You should have a lot of stuff too, no matter how you get it. Come a little closer. Did God really say that a lie would do some harm? Come on, a white lie? No, come on, come a little closer. Did God really say, and you know how it works, there's the lure and then there's the sin of doing and not doing and then it's like he's dragged you into his house. And you're there, and he can talk to you. And he say, okay, now there's a punishment to be paid for that lie. Now there's a price to be paid for that laziness. Now those things you said, you're going to be punished with me. And he accuses, and he attacks, and he beats up the conscience hour after hour, day after day, and assaults us with even more lies. As you imagine that, which is so real, you can better imagine what happens every time God forgives someone their sin. It's, it's like Jesus, he, he picks up a battering ram, and he aims it at the devil's front door, and he charges and he knocks down the front door, and he knocks down the devil himself, and he ties him up hands and foot to a... To a, to a heavy chair, and he puts a gag in his mouth to shut him up, and then he goes through his whole house from room to room and closet to closet, from attic to, attic to basement, and he unshackles his captives. He sets the devil's prisoners free. He makes their hearts whole again. And he delivers them from that house eternally. Every time a sinner is forgiven, it's like the Lord rescues them from the devil's house and sets them free. 
Jesus kind of famously addressed the people that were jealous of him and saying stupid things about him. He said, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. The religious leaders knew the scriptures. The scribes, the Pharisees had memorized them and they saw with their own evidence that this was being fulfilled in the person and the words of the Son of God right in front of them. And they, they, they resisted it, and they resisted it, and they, against better judgment, they hardened their hearts against that, and thus sinned against the Holy Spirit, the only one that can create and sustain faith. Jesus called that the unforgivable sin. It's the Bible class question. Pastor, can you explain again what the sin against the Holy Spirit is? It's the sin against better judgment where somebody knows better and yet they speak against the very Spirit of God that could otherwise bring them to faith. What's often overlooked is what Jesus says right before that. He says, people will be forgiven all their sins, even the slanderous things they have said. That's why he came. Jesus lived a sinless life. So all sins are forgiven. He shed his own blood on the cross, a payment, so that all sins are forgiven. He came to you by his spirit. And while you could have rejected him, his spirit made you his very own. All sins forgiven. It's like you got set free by the Son of God himself. You've learned some things about Jesus' immediate family. They come into play in this account. I think you could go through this as well as I, as I can. There was Joseph, Joseph, his legal father, honorable, courageous, faithful Joseph. By the time Jesus began his own public ministry at age 30, apparently Joseph had died. He's not in the picture any longer. There's Mary, the only woman to be honored and blessed to be the mother of her Lord and Savior. The birth of Jesus was a, a virgin birth. Scripture makes that very obvious. But what also would seem to be quite apparent from Scripture is that after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary had a healthy relationship as a husband and wife, and children were born to them in the usual way. Scripture mentions more than one younger sister to Jesus, doesn't name them. Scripture does mention four brothers of Jesus, younger brothers, and later in Mark's account, does name them. The brothers, we're told, during Jesus' public life were not followers. They were skeptics, doubters, not believing in him. But they were concerned. So at the beginning of the account that we read, those who were close to Jesus 
were concerned about the life that Jesus and his disciples were living. So many people were coming them, thousands of people coming with demands, so many things to be done and said that Jesus and his his disciples didn't even have opportunity to eat. So those closest to Jesus decided, we'll go and we'll take charge of Jesus. And as I imagine, we'll, we'll, we'll bring him back to Nazareth and we'll, we'll give him a good talking to and give him some R&R. So now the end of the account arrives. His mother and brothers have arrived at Capernaum where Jesus is. Jesus is in a house teaching. They're out in the street waiting. They send somebody in to call him, somebody to come in and to go in the house and say, your mother and brothers are looking for you. As I imagine it, Jesus had such love and respect for his mother and brothers that eventually he went out and he spoke to them, but he didn't immediately. Instead, there's this moment, this moment that's not only sweet, it's very instructive. He's still in the house, and he looks at the people gathered in a circle around him, and he asks them, Who are my mother and brothers. And he sees the fishermen that he's called to be his apostles, and the women who have been supporting him with their prayers and financial resources, and maybe he sees, here's one that he healed of a fatal disease. Here's one he freed from the devil's house. Here's Here's that disrespected tax collector, now forgiven. And here's that woman who had lived that obviously sinful life in that one town, but they're all there, and they're listening, and they're learning, and they're believing. And Jesus says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So also here, right? It's God's will that you, that you believe that the offspring of the woman crushed the devil's head. He's got no power over you. Believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're Jesus' brother. You're your family to him. It's God's will that you recognize that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment not only of that first gospel promise of salvation, but of every single one that followed. Recognizing that by the Holy Spirit's working, you're Jesus' sister, you're, you're family to him. And it's God's will that you realize that people will be forgiven all their sins, you included, all their sins forgiven for Jesus' sake. Recognizing that you're Jesus' brother and sister and mother all rolled into one, your family to him and to one another. You look around when you're at church, right? And you see the people nearby and you know some of them pretty well. And maybe you realize that the people that are here with me, some of them are struggling terribly. 
they're, they're struggling uh, about something that, that they did years ago, something that they experienced years ago, and it's still, it, it still gets a hold on them. And, and you, you look around and you recognize that marriage, I understand, it looks okay today, but I understand it's a real battle for them. And you look around and you realize the people that have gathered with me today are, are hurting, are frustrated. Some of them are going, to have, are going to hate having to go to work tomorrow. Some of them have these battles with their co-workers, with their families that go on and on and on. You look around and you see that and you realize this is my family. This is Jesus' family. We come here and we hear his word of forgiveness together. And by his spirit, we believe it and we find peace in Christ Jesus alone. Not only I have that, but every single one of, this, one of us has that. Sisters and brothers and mothers to the Lord Jesus Christ, closer to the him than to maybe any other family members that they have. Pretty amazing, right? He stormed the devil's household and set you and others free that we might love one another as family, support one another as family, and recognize this is God's house. This is God's family. This is my house. My family. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all, all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our sermon webcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Kerbis. To discuss today's sermon or to discover more about our ministry, visit our website at lsavior.org. Thank you again for joining us, and may God bless your day.